Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. But Geza, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said... Behold, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Geza followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, Even now there is come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him, and and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of raiments, and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, He took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Geza? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee, and when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and oil vineyards and vineyards, olive vineyards, and vineyards, and sheep, and oxen, and men servants, and maid servants. And the leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee, and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. When my kids were growing up, they were the dumbest things. No, no. I thought he was going to say, how dumb worthy. That's what I was waiting on, and it didn't come. Well, let me tell you, that used to bother me a lot, and then I figured it out why they were so dumb. They got all their good looks from my side of the family and all of their intelligence from their mother's side of the family. That made me understand the whole situation. But I'm telling you, they were so dumb. Let me explain to you how dumb they were. I mean, you just can't imagine how dumb these kids were. When I would say to them, all right, what's the front door doing open? They'd say, I don't know. (laughs) Or if I would say, all right, who left the milk sitting on the kitchen sink? They'd say, not me. And when the house was about to come down from the goings-on upstairs in the bedroom in the evening, and I would yell up and say, all right, what's going on up there? I'd get the answer, nothing. Now, they liked to eat sitting on the edge of the chair like they were about ready to go to a race and really hogging it in and then grab their coat and start out the door. And I'd say, all right, just where do you think you're going? And they'd say, nowhere. Now, they couldn't even come up with a different answer for all the questions. When they'd come back in late at night after being out later than they should have been, and I would say, and where do you think you've been all this time? They'd also answer, nowhere. Now, I thought once they grew up and left home, 
that that problem would be resolved and we could get down to an intelligent conversation. You know, we could have more than just one or two word phrases spoken around the house. And I, I discovered something. Things haven't changed too much. My wife would say, all right, who left the bathroom in this mess? And somebody answers, not me. And when she says, and why are all of these papers from Sunday scattered all over the living room? And the answer comes back, I don't know. No change. Elisha said to his servant Giza, where did you go? And Giza said, I didn't go anywhere. Did you notice that in the 25th verse? I didn't go anywhere. Dumb answers. Well, in order to understand all of this, we've got to go back and get the full story. You may remember that Naaman was a captain in the Syrian army. The Syrians had gone down to Israel and had captured a lot of people and taken them back as prisoners for slavery. One of those was a young girl who became Naaman's slave, or slave to his wife, probably more properly. Now, Naaman was a leper. And the little girl saw this, and she was concerned for her master's leprosy, and she said, I wish he would go back to Israel to the prophet, and he could get cured. And the king said to Naaman, what do you have to lose? Yeah, let's, let me pack you up a lot of money and several changes of, of clothing, and you go down there to the king of Israel, and you ask for this prophet and get this healing. So Naaman went, and the king was very much distressed that, that Naaman had come and thought they must be conniving some kind of uh, a thing against Israel again to come down and ask such a, a question as to where he could get healed of leprosy. Well, Elisha heard of it and called for him to come over to his house. And so Naaman showed up with his great group of people that traveled with him and all this fine clothing on the backs of the animals and the, and the money. And Elisha just sent word out to him, you go and wash in the Jordan River and you'll be cleansed. And Naaman said, now that's stupid. Aren't the rivers that we have back in Syria a lot more valuable and greater rivers than this muddy Jordan? Why, if he had uh, asked something sensible, I would have done it, but this is a stupid request. And the servants of Naaman said, well, now look, had he asked you to do some outlandish thing, some great thing, you would have done it. Why don't you just comply with what he asked, and maybe you'll be healed. So he thought about it and went down to the Jordan River and plunged himself in, and after he had complied with the time requirement, he came forth and he looked and he was free of all of his leprosy. And he came back to the house of Elisha and offered to pay for his cleansing. Elisha said, no, I won't take anything for that. Just go on your way. And Geza saw the man ride off with all of this finery and all of the money still in the sacks on the donkeys. And he thought, now that's a stupid thing to do. Let that man get away with all of this money. I'll figure up a way to get some of it for myself if Elisha doesn't want it. And so he ran after him and made up the story that we read that, that all of a sudden a couple of the, 
sons of the preachers had just come in from the mountains and how about giving some of that to them? And Naaman was more than glad to do it and doubled the offer that, that Geza had asked for, sent it back with the servants. And then Geza goes in before his master and his master says, where have you been? Where did you go? Geza says, I didn't go anywhere. Lying through his teeth. Geza viewed the scene entirely differently than his master. Elisha was willing to provide that which he had to, to Naaman, free of charge. But Geza had a better idea. He thought that he ought to be paid. It seems strange that men have better ideas than God. But this is the truth. We know more than God about what he ought to do and how he ought to do it. Although God certainly is willing to listen to us when we pray to him, and we certainly ought to, to pray and ask for the things that are the concerns of our heart, there's one thing we've got to remember, that God is the all-wise person and not we ourselves. And we've got to take that which he does and that which he says as that which is right. God sent Samuel out on one occasion to anoint a new king, and he couldn't believe that God wanted this little boy David to be the king. But God had to say to Samuel in 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 7 these words, that, uh, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And there comes the difference. We see things externally, but the Lord looks within the heart. The psalmist said, well, rather Isaiah, let me read from Isaiah 55, 8. Isaiah said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, saith the Lord. Now, Geza wasn't born dumb, and I don't think he got his ignorance either from his mother's side of the family. He was a smart man. But somewhere along the line, he was looking differently on the external than he was acting from within. Therefore, we get our title, Outward Appearances and Internal Reality. Let's look at this man a little bit. He deceived his testimony. I want to make, I think, four or five points. Point number one. The wickedness that we began to see in Gaza's heart didn't just suddenly happen. It, it was growing there for some time. A person who becomes a Christian isn't perfect, but he's got a lifetime to grow. And likewise, it is very possible that a person can begin to deteriorate in his Christian life the same way. A man is just not suddenly evil. He gets that way over a period of time. Elisha had a lot of confidence in his servant Geza up to this point in time. He gave him many responsibilities that he ought to have been able to perform. Let me illustrate with one. There was a Shunammite woman who had no children and who loved the servant Elisha so much that she had her husband build a little room for him on the side of their house that he might come and, and stay there and have a place to lodge and so on in his travels. 
And Elisha said to Geza, well, what can we do in return for, for the kindness and generosity of this woman? And, and Geza said, well, now she has no children. Elisha called her in and said that you will have a child in the given time. Nine months later, she had a child. Then one day, Elisha was traveling with his servant Geza, and off in the distance came this Shunammite woman riding on the speed of the wind toward him in the back of a donkey. And Elisha recognized her and sent Geza out ahead of her and said, Go find out what's wrong. And when Geza came to the Shunammite woman, he asked her, Is everything all right with you? And the Shunammite woman said, Yes, everything is all right. What she was really saying is, I'm not going to tell you. I can't depend on you. I don't trust you. I've got to talk to Elisha. Why could she not divulge her problem? Her problem was her son was dying. She wanted Elisha's help. She wanted God's help, of course, in the ultimate end. She couldn't get the assistance she needed from Elisha because she didn't, she didn't trust him. She had no confidence in him. One of the problems that I see that this illustrates in your life and mine is that we must be very careful that our testimony and the way that we live develops and creates confidence that other people can have confidence in us as a child of God, as one who has the ear of God, as one who serves God, that they can reveal and divulge their concerns and of their heart and their soul that we might be able to assist them. On another occasion, Elisha sent Giza, well, immediately after this, sent Giza to lay his uh, staff upon the body of the boy that he might be restored to life. And Giza went to do it, but the boy was not restored to life because the testimony of Geza had begun to deteriorate to the place that God could not use Geza for his purpose. We must be careful that our testimony is continually strong enough that God can use us for his purpose. The second point that I think we can make, that there is proof of the wickedness that was in Geza's heart. A contradiction in terms, outward appearance, and inward reality. What showed on the outside was not in the heart. What the appearance was to society was not the reality of the person's heart. His attitude was wicked, and it finally came to the forefront. He saw this man Naaman riding away with all this money and clothes, and he thought, now I ought to have some of that. It was okay to fleece a Syrian. So he made up a story, and out after him he went. And he lied and succeeded in getting the things that he wanted. Let's look at a couple of attitudes. Number one was an attitude toward Naaman. He didn't care what happened to Naaman. He wanted for himself. We must care about other people. We must care 
about other people. If we don't care about other people and their needs physically, but also their needs spiritually, that finally will come through and our outward repair appearance will detract from our inward reality. And it will come through eventually. And people will see us for what we really are. The second thing I, see, I think we can see about his attitude is that he didn't care what other people thought of his master. I'm afraid oftentimes we don't care what other people think of God. Else we would act perhaps differently than we do. The name of Elisha was being drugged through the dust. His honor was being dishonored. And Geza didn't care. God's honor, his name is being drugged through the dust of the earth. And we let it happen and sometimes cause it to happen without a concern. Can we stand in the presence of the church in the midst of a sanctuary like this and sing praises to God when throughout the week perhaps we allow his name to be drugged through the dirt? We've got to honor this God that we serve. Then look thirdly at his attitude toward a simple thing like honesty. Now, not all honest people are godly, but let me tell you this, all godly people are honest. All godly people are honest, and he wasn't even honest. His wickedness was revealed in his desire for his own self-interest. And Elisha recognized this, and over in the 26th verse, when he called him in, he said, I saw what was happening out there. Is it a time to receive money? Is it a time to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and manservants? What was in the mind and heart of Geza? To gain for himself material wealth without regard to what the Lord's wishes were. He was dishonest in doing it. Then let us look at what happened to this man. And I want to turn over to James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, for some words that James gives us. When he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And this is exactly what Giza was doing. There are three problems that he did not recognize. Number one, there was the problem of the honor and peace of a nation at stake. Here was an opportunity for Israel and Syria to both serve and worship Jehovah. For Naaman said, I now understand, I now know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And Gaza is about to destroy this knowledge 
that could have been taken back to Syria. And Syria may very well have become a God-fearing nation, except for the testimony of one person who was interested only in himself and cared nothing of the honor and the integrity of God. There are far-reaching effects that are nationwide when it comes to the influence of the Christian. I have been time and time again taken aback with the fact that many leaders of the world are educated in the United States. You know that, of course. Many of the leaders of the communist nations we have educated. And I have heard it spoken in my presence by some of these people, and I have read it on many other occasions, that these leaders have said something to this effect, and I cannot quote exact, but I can get pretty close. I didn't find anything in the United States that said Christianity meant anything. So why should I go back and believe it? When we had an opportunity to testify to the honor of our God, so that the world leaders that we educate in the United States would come to know Jesus Christ, they go back without a knowledge of him. What a terrible tragedy it is. That's why it's extremely important that we support the Christian ministries that go on on our college campuses. I don't know whether you know it or not, but we have, we have ministers that we employ by our convention that are stationed on some of our campuses, like the university. West Virginia and, and, and many others that are there to work amongst the people who go there to school. The second thing I would like for you to notice, the honor of the church is at stake. The honor of the church. There were false prophets in this day, and Geza has reduced the honest prophecy of Elisha to the status of a false prophet. For the false prophets wanted to be paid uh, and, and bribed for those things that they would do. And uh, Elisha was saying, look, we do this because we love you, not because we expect something from you. And the honor that Elisha had was suddenly reduced to that of nothing more than false prophets. We've got to be careful that the honor of the church and the testimony of the church is not reduced to the level of some of the false teachings that go on in this country. We've got to keep them high. Thirdly, the honor of God was at stake, and we have spoken to this just briefly. All Elisha requested was faith. And now Geza has advised Naaman that you've got to pay for it. How does one receive the mercy and the grace from God our Father? Not by that which he does with his money or that which he does with his physical uh, facilities, but only that which he does with his heart and with his soul, and that is believe in Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. Here was a little faith song. A little tender shirt was beginning to grow on the heart of Naaman, and Gaza snuffed it out by false testimony. Let us plant that little seed. Let us water it. Let us cultivate it. 
that the little faith that we sow in our society will grow into a great faith and belief in Jesus Christ our Savior and our Lord. But look what happened to Gaza. Elisha said, because of what you've done, you're going to receive the leprosy of Naaman. You're going to receive the leprosy of Naaman. He went out from the presence of Elisha that day as white as snow, as a penalty for his sin. I want to go over to the words of the Lord in Matthew chapter 18. A very, very important small section beginning in the third verse of Matthew chapter 18. And this is the Lord speaking. And he's speaking to us as Christian people. He says, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Oh my people, the responsibility that we have as God's children to not be offensive to those little children. I'm not talking necessarily of our babies and our young adults. I'm talking about young believers in Jesus Christ, the young ones in the kingdom of God. We've got to build them up and to lift them up and to strengthen them. The sins of Gaza finally came to the forefront. And his wicked heart was revealed. And he was seen for what he was. We must be sure that what our heart is, is that which our physical appearance portrays. We must be sure that what our external evidence is, is nothing more than our portrayal of the content of our heart. The psalmist said, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. I want to go to Jeremiah, chapter 17, just two verses, verses 9 and 10. Listen to these words. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his doing. The emphasis I want us to notice here is, I, the Lord, search the heart. That's where the Lord looks. The Lord looks not as man looks. He sees not as man sees. For man looks on the external, but the Lord looks on the heart. And what does the Lord see when he looks at your heart and looks at mine? He doesn't see our external appearance, be it good or be it bad. He sees our heart and he knows if it's good. And there comes a time that we've got to confess 
the sins of our hearts. We've got to acknowledge to our Lord that we have sinned in his sight and have fallen far short of his expectations. If you're not a Christian this morning, let me just read you this verse from John 1, 7, when it says, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If you have not accepted him, you can correlate your external with your internal through the blood of Jesus Christ. Your heart and your testimony can be the same if you will accept him as your Lord and Savior. But even through the Christian, let me read you from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you're a Christian, these words the Lord would say to us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me close with this question. What is the condition of your heart? Does your external appearances reveal your inward reality? If it does not, would you not be willing this morning to step out of the seat where you are in faith in Jesus Christ and just be willing to say to him and testify to this congregation, I want to bring my outward appearance and my inward reality together so that my testimony is what lives in the depths of my heart. Would you do that this morning? Let us pray. As we pause for a moment, before we sing our closing hymn, I'm going to ask each of you to examine the contents of your own heart. What is the condition of your heart this morning? Is it right with the Lord? If you're not a Christian, would you acknowledge it this morning and be willing to simply step out of your seat as a testimony of faith in Jesus Christ and say, I'm coming to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior this morning? If you are a Christian, that you feel a need to get closer to the Lord, you'd be willing to come down this aisle and stand before this congregation just as a testimony of your seeking God's forgiveness and God's closer presence in your life. Our Father, we pray that you would speak to every heart as it has need this morning. Whatever is in the depths of the heart, would you deal with it? would you give someone this morning the grace to step out on faith give their lives closer to you than they ever have before for this we pray in the name of Christ our Redeemer Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try Trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.